Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today are Anu. Yo, what's good, everybody? AC. What's up, y'all? And the legend himself, E Boogie, Eric. Yes, sir. You see what I did there, Eric? I kind of gassed you up to make you feel good because I know this podcast is going to hurt you quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Now, I say that to say I know very well that if the Sixers suffer in the playoffs, you're going to not be so kind. So just remember that I was nice to you. Well, you already saw what I did with the Packers, so I'm ruthless. You you might as well <laughs> just take all the angst that you have from what I did to you. You better get it out now because when you lose, I'm coming back tenfold. All right, guys. So the Los Angeles Lakers are not having a very good season. and. I say that very generously. Since All-Star Game, they've only won two games. They're two and nine because tonight they lost to the Timberwolves by 20 points. In terms of points per game, they're 13th in the league. Opponents' points per game, they're 27th in the league. According to the simple rating system, which takes into account average point differential and strength of schedule, they are 24th in the league. In terms of pace, they're fourth, so uh, I guess it's the Westbrook effect. Offensive rating, they're 24th. Defensive rating, they're 16th. Net rating, they're 23rd. So, guys, this is looking dire. There's just so many things that went wrong with this team that it's difficult to boil it down to just one thing. But the albatross on this Los Angeles Lakers team and the guy who has become a lightning rod in Los Angeles... And I don't even know he's much of a rod in the sense that, like, usually lightning rods, you say, like, you know, there's people with different opinions on it. Here, I feel like, at least amongst people who actually watch the Lakers, it's pretty universal that Russell Westbrook has been an utter disappointment this season and, and has exceeded even my worst expectations coming into this. And we'll talk about the offseason move and whether or not it was a wise decision, even optimistically, to, to move for Russell Westbrook. I've maintained the whole season and on this pod many times that it was a mistake. But even I did not think the Lakers would be sitting with 10 more losses than wins right now, and Russell Westbrook would basically be arguably the worst player in the league. I mean, he's definitely the worst contract in the league. Is he maybe the worst player in the league for the minutes that he's getting? I mean, shit. Honestly... When I, when I saw that signing, I was like, I have no fucking idea what the Lakers are doing. This makes no fucking sense. And, I mean, we're seeing it in full force right now. And keep in mind, guys, the playoffs are, are right around the corner. And if he's playing this bad now in regular season basketball when, you know, the game is actually probably a bit easier. Bro, when the playoffs come, he's not going to be able to do shit. He's already r- r- known as a poor playoff performer. And now he has to play with LeBron James, who's, you know, career standing, honestly, relies on this season in some ways, right? So 
the amount of pressure already, you know, to perform and now perform and help a LeBron James to cement himself as the greatest of all time, truly, it's like, come on, Westbrook, pull your shit together. I just want to quickly say that while Westbrook must be bad, it's got to be DeAndre Jordan who's the worst player for the minutes he's given, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, DeAndre Jordan also, in fairness, barely fucking plays, right? Right. I, if you can, like, do that bad in the amount of time given, then that's actually kind of an accomplishment almost on your part. True. So I'm just going to be blunt as possible. Russell Westbrook has been a shit turd bathe and piss the whole season. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know any other analogy or something symbolic to even come up with. He's pound for pound. You know, in boxing, we do these pound for pound rankings. So if you look at someone's contract, he has an onerous contract that no one wanted. The wizards were trying to get, get rid of that contract. The rockets were trying to get rid of that contract. The Lakers picked it up with two years left, even though for the past three seasons, he had shown each season that he has an antiquated game that works best in the regular season, is not particularly good at making others better come playoff time, and definitely when you constrict the court in the playoffs, it just is not successful. What is LeBron, AD, the Rambi, I'm talking about Kurt Rambis, Linda Rambis, uh, Jenny Buss, uh, Rob Palinka. I'm naming every fucking person. What do they do? They sign Russ and take this onerous contract off the Wizards' hands while giving away players who actually contributed to a championship. And now everyone's acting as if, oh, this is some unmitigated disaster. Clutching pearls. Oh, we, we couldn't have possibly realized that Russell Westbrook would be some facsimile of this guy that he is. Russell Westbrook has been this guy for the last couple of years. And that goes for everyone I name. Everyone. Everyone has a hand into this. Everyone is to be, be blamed. You know, my problems with Westbrook are just like anyone else's, right? Like, obviously... We see what this guy's doing on the basketball court. It looks like he doesn't even fucking know what's happening. He can't even tell left from right half the time. But to me, what I really hate the most is his unwillingness to take any blame in the part of his gameplay, right? Like, he's a guy who is so prideful of the fact that he averages the two triple-double seasons that he's not willing to, you know, step off of that high horse and be like, you know what, maybe I am the fucking problem. To him, it's like, you know, I'm just playing basketball, man. Like, this is how I do. This is me. Why not? You know what I mean? He's like his old saying. I mean, come on, Westbrook. This is fucking ridiculous. It's so absurd. You know, Eric and Anu, you made some really good points. One of the things that you both touched on is the idea of Russell Westbrook being a poor playoff performer over the last few seasons. Well, I got news for you guys. He now sucks as a regular season player, too. I mean, he's really, really bad in regular season basketball now. This is a man who, for years, has struggled finishing at the rim. But now it feels like he does three, maybe, back-breaking, wide-open layups that just clank off the backboard. This is a man who used to have a good mid-range pull-up game that he would take too often, but it's something that would be, you know, he'd get the defense on on the back of their heels and he'd pull up from that mid-range and he could score from that. Now what does he have? This ridiculous bank shot that he tries 
from 19 feet away, which anyone who's played basketball can tell you is an extremely difficult shot to make. This is a guy who you can say whatever you want about him, but has been a man who in the past, at least has made certain teammates better. Well, now he's playing so recklessly that his turnovers are so costly that the Lakers basically have two options. Either they give the ball to him and expect him to make one catastrophic turnover or, you know, after another, or they decide to just use him as a complete off-ball player. But as Anu alluded to, this is a man who is the least flexible, least adaptable player in the league. He does not want to play off the ball. He does not want to set screens. He scoffs at the media when they ask him reasonable questions about his turnovers. And then when he plays off the ball, he complains that, you know, he's not getting the ball enough. On top of everything else, he's also one of those guys who complain loudly to the media and specifically will complain about being benched when he absolutely deserves to be benched. AC, all great points. And I got to so ahead of myself because the idea that Russ didn't have to be on this team just like irks me so much that I get lost in blind anger. But I was mentioning pound for pound contracts. We were comparing him to DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, I still think, was the worst player I saw getting minutes. But DeAndre Jordan wasn't being paid any money. Russell Westbrook's being paid 40 plus million dollars. 40 plus million dollars. And Eric, Russell Westbrook demands to start and demands to finish games, right? DeAndre is content sitting there collecting checks, clapping his hands. And it becoming basically glorified, you know, human victory cigar at this point in his career. This Westbrook guy, though, on the other hand, as Anu alluded to, perceives himself as a star still and wants to be treated as such and creates problems when he's not. Yeah, and that that's why we've heard recently all the complaining. When he when he wasn't in a game that they set him in the fourth quarter, he goes over to LeBron and AD and does this faux cheering them up. Oh, guys, you know, we would have won this game if I was in the game, even though <laughs> in the fourth quarter, you've been one of the league's worst performers. AC mentions that he's decided to start taking these weird-ass bank shots. I've literally seen every Lakers game this year. At some point, not all the way through, but every Lakers game, I've seen Russ hit that shot twice, two times. <laughs> two. You know. <laughs> I've seen him take it 30 times. I've seen him hit it twice. I mean, so it... I, I say that to say, and I know that sounds like an aside, Russ is nowhere near as far as value, what he thinks he is in his head, and what he actually brings to the floor. They need to get rid of his ass, but I don't know how they can. If anyone was wondering what pure masochism looks like, it's Eric watching every single Lakers game. That in and of itself is <laughs> unbelievable. You have to really not like yourself to do that. So, you know, good I'm, on I, you, might as, I'm, I might as well get like the old school, like, uh, like Benedictine monks who used to self-flagellate themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy from... Uh, Da Vinci Code, one of those dudes, basically. Exactly. Actual torture, Jesus. The crazy thing about Westbrook is since the All-Star break, he's been shooting, and this is serious. I'm not making this up. 9.1% from beyond the arc. 
That's 9.1%. And this is a field goal percentage, mind you. Oswe, do yeah. you remember the other night in our group chat? It was late at night. I think these guys were asleep. And you were sending some stuff. And then I was like, bro, look at the tweets before. And it was a sequence of events. In the, the start of oh, the yeah. game, the Lakers had gone on a 14-2 run. Then Russ decided, I'm about to take over. Yep. Takes the ball. He runs up with 16 seconds on the, on the shot clock. Takes a three. They take the ball, rebound, they score. Russ comes back with literal 13 seconds on the clock. No one else has touched the ball in either of these possessions. Russ takes a 19-foot bank shot. He misses the bank shot. It's like, dog, what the hell are you doing? Yep. At this point, and I don't like to talk about guys like on-court IQ because historically sometimes that has had like racial undertones and i think we we can all agree on that yeah for sure the lamar jackson effect kind of a- absolutely that's a great example Oswe. Yeah. but and and russ from everything i hear he's a very intelligent man off the court he yep. was a great student in high school straight a's yeah went to an elite college ucla and it wasn't just because he was an elite athlete russ pound for pound as far as any great player I can think of off the top of my head has the worst basketball IQ I have ever seen. And it is not close. <laughs> it is not close. He is the equivalent of a basketball moron. You know, when I heard that 9%, right? Like it got me thinking for guys who've taken a test or an exam, you have to like try to get, like, like without studying or anything, right? Like, how can you even like score a nine percent on a test or an exam? This guy's shooting that in a basketball game. I know. You know what? That's the equivalent of. Mm. It's the equivalent of getting points for writing your name correctly on the top. Exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect way to describe it. That's literally all Westbrook is able to contribute. He's writing his name on the basketball court, and that's about it. I mean, for me, one of my biggest pet peeves that scoring guards in general do is early shot clock just jacking the ball up because it's like you don't give your team a chance to you know get your offense set up you don't let your guys run down so that if you do miss you can get a rebound you don't give guys any time to get position like it just kills the momentum that your team might otherwise have yeah that's a great point Aswi and that kind of like brings me to something I also wanted to talk about and it's that exact like bad shot selection, right? Like taking a shot like that and with the way the Lakers play, they play fucking lazy. They don't run back on defense. They'll t- take a shot and be like, oh, oh, well, whoever's back there is back there. Maybe they'll get a stop. It- it's a lazy way to play. It's unacceptable to play that way. If you take a shot in the NBA, you best believe everybody needs to be running back or at least like one guy's crashing the glass because You've seen it time and time again. How many transition points they give up based on these turnovers? Ridiculous. Anu, they've basically given up on the season. and The veterans in particular, anyone over the age of 30 on the Lakers is playing really half-assed right now. They're not running back. And we will talk about all those guys in this pod. I promise you. Because this is not just a Westbrook thing. This is a, a team that has quit and it's embarrassing to watch. But I want to focus right now on Russell Westbrook a little bit more because... You know, Eric brought up 
the lack of b-ball on court iq by russell westbrook and i want to be a little bit more specific about the different ways that this manifests itself so shot shot selection is obvious right also we mentioned the problem with a point guard taking a shot early well in the modern nba there's a lot of great point guards who could actually shoot really well and so it's not necessarily bad offense for an early shot clock shot, especially in transition. But Russell Westbrook is the worst three-point shooter with any sort of decent volume of attempts in the history of the NBA. So him taking early shot clock shots is a big problem. But shot selection is only the very small part of the many ways that he makes errors. His decision-making as a passer at times is mind-blowingly poor. I mean, he will try to thread a pass through three guys and just create a turnover in the worst circumstance imaginable. He will casually do this thing where he goes, you know, in between his legs back and forth three or four times for no reason. And they'll just like dribble the ball out of bounds. And this happens way more often than you would think for an NBA point guard. And anyone who's played basketball, especially anyone who's played point guard at any level, will tell you that you will get your ass benched if you make that kind of turnover, a non-pressure turnover, just, you know, just fucking around with the ball and having it roll out of bounds. But everything we're saying does, you know, pales in comparison to where I think his IQ really shows a lack of attention to detail and problems. And that's on the defensive end. For years, the litmus test for me of whether somebody knows basketball or not is if they tell me, that Russell Westbrook's a good defender. If they tell me those words, oh, he's a good defender, I know they don't know shit about basketball. Because the reality is this guy has not put any sort of effort or applied his amazing physical gifts to defense in any kind of consistent way for a very long time. Basically since the time he was in college and he was considered to be an elite defender. I mean, when you talk about the errors this man makes, it's everything from gambling for steals for no reason to turning his back to place to get rebounds and leaving guys wide open just losing people on simple cuts, getting back cut, losing guys on a screen for three. How many times have the Lakers lost a game, not even from all the problems that Westbrook calls them on offense, but because at the end of the game, he makes a critical blunder on defense, giving somebody a wide open look. So AC, you made really great points, but I just wanted to bring up one point about Russell Westbrook that I've noticed that doesn't quite get spoken about as much as it should. Out of all the great point guards that I can think of when we're talking about someone's on-court IQ, Russell Westbrook, unlike the other guards, seems to only be able to play with one speed at all times. It's like unbridled recklessness every single play. So if you look at any of the great point guards in the league, whether that's Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving or someone who's a pure point guard in a traditional sense like Chris Paul, they all can change tempo and speed from play to play, from quarter to quarter, and even situation to situation. So in late games, when they know that their team is down, they'll turn the put the pedal to the metal and go full speed. Other points in the game, they'll realize I'm in half-court sets. I might need to slow down, allow the play to develop, and then go from there and facilitate. Russ, for whatever reason, is always playing recklessly, and it shows with turnovers and just boneheaded plays. 
Yeah, you know, Eric, it's funny you mentioned about his pace because there was a game a couple months ago where Shaq was courtside and he kind of is calling out to Russ and they have a little exchange. And he said in like his podcast later that he was trying to tell Westbrook to kind of calm down, to slow the pace down, to be a little bit more methodical. Yikes. And funny <laughs> enough, funny enough, since then, it's almost like he got even faster. Typical Russ, someone gives you advice, but instead of taking the correct lesson from the advice, you do the exact opposite. It's almost like, think of a petulant child who you'll try to discipline, but you want them to get like some type of lesson out of the discipline. And they just take the complete different lesson because they're just like, well, you're not going to be the boss of me. That's Russ. So I'm not even surprised that somehow since then he's gotten even worse. I mean, that's what happened when Magic Johnson in 2011 told him that he needs to play more like a point guard, right? He took the total wrong lesson from that. He talks about this in his documentary how it motivated him to lead the league in assists to basically stat pile when obviously Manny Johnson wasn't t- telling him to stat pile. He was telling him to do was run an actual offense, play like a point guard. And so right there, he took the wrong lesson and doubled down on the things that he does and, and became worse for it. But Eric, you, your point about speed, one area that really comes about in is when this guy drives to the hoop. So, when you drive to the hoop, speed is obviously super valuable to get around your man. But at some point, whether it's in the air or on the ground, you have to slow down so that you can put the right touch on the ball. Like, you know, whether you're trying to get a finger roll it in or, or go off the glass, every point guard and really every wing or anyone who really drives has this. You can see the fastest guys, they, they kind of magically slow down as they get near the rim, right? Westbrook doesn't do that. And it's in part because when he was younger, he could just go there and dunk it. And now that he can't, when he lays it up, he's still going at one speed. That's why so many of his layups like fly off the backboard because he doesn't do the simple thing. If you actually look at Russell Westbrook, when he jumps off of two feet or off of a jump stop, he's actually a pretty solid layup finisher. But when he's going off one foot and he's, you know, careening at full speed, you could be, I mean, like, listen, man, you watch the Lakers game and... I bet you more often than not, he's missing those shots. I think you said it, AC, the other day. He's like, in many ways, looking at him finishing around the room, he's like the anti-Jaw Morant. Another player (laughs) who can drive to the room with reckless abandonment, but at the same time, he has the change of pace where right when he gets at the room, he can stop almost in midair, pirouette around defenders, and finish and a multitude of ways around like double teams and triple teams at the rim. Russ can't do that. I mean, yeah, like unlike John Morant, Westbrook doesn't get his guys open either because it's not like he's a threat from scoring pretty much anywhere. How many blown layups have we even seen from this guy lately? See, I'm not sure I agree with that, Oswee. I feel like he does get people open because the only way that anyone reasonably play against Russell Westbrook is to pack the paint. And Westbrook, if there's one thing he can still do is get into the paint and he can spray to a bunch of guys who are frankly suboptimal shooters. And and that's, you know, we'll talk about all that problem where he hurts the Lakers and any team that he's on is if the players that he's playing with need to also be near the rim or also slashers because he provides no spacing 
for those type of players. And obviously the Lakers employ LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two guys who are massively better the closer they are to the rim than they are further from the hoop and and genuinely are at their best when there's space around them. So he's, he just doesn't fit them. And, and it's, a, it's a huge negative that weighs on this team. I think Oswe was making basically that argument, AC, as like, it was it was more semantical. I think Oswe is saying, if you compared Russ from his skill set as a passer years ago to now, it's limited where you can be on the floor as a guy around Russ to be able to have him create shots for you. Because like you said, AC, they'll just pack the paint. Like <laughs> they'll do one thing to Russ. So it automatically means everyone around Russ has to be an elite shooter. The Lakers don't have everyone who's an elite shooter. Austin Reeves is playing. Uh, What's the guy's name? THT is playing. Taylor. These guys can't shoot. (laughs) Uh, Trevor Ariza was playing. Avery Bradley, who's up and down as a shooter, was playing. So Russ's style, in theory, where guys are going to pack the paint, he's going to run into, you know, the paint and kick the ball out. Yeah, that shit can work. But it's very limited in the type of player that it can be successful with. So, yeah, last year with Bertans, who were shooting like 46% from three, on like eight, nine threes a game? Yeah, that shit worked with him. It don't work with this Lakers team. Not just that, Eric. That style of play is extremely limiting in playoff basketball, where we saw just a couple years ago when the Lakers themselves faced Russell Westbrook's Rockets, they just left him open and dared him to make shots, and then they just put extra help on Harden. And last year, we saw it in the play-in game. We saw it in round one. Teams just weren't afraid of him shooting, and... Yeah, you could drive it and create shots for people on the outside, but your complete inability to make an outside shot as a point guard just puts a very low ceiling on your team offensively. But there is one other thing, guys, and we've talked about his lack of, you know, b-ball IQ, his high turnovers, and all the other stuff that we covered here. In Westbrook, this guy is one of the top 75 players ever. He was literally named that, and on accomplishments, I think we all agree, deserved it. He was on all of our list in the top 75. But there's one thing about him that I think is this last prevailing myth that is yet to truly be debunked, and it's amazing to me. And that is the myth that Russell Westbrook plays hard. I am here to tell you guys that this man does not play hard when he plays basketball. And I think what's happening is people confuse a guy who drives recklessly because that's the only way that he knows how to play with a guy who plays hard. Well, let me tell you something. Playing hard isn't never running back on defense. Playing hard is not never making a a rotation. Playing hard is not never making a box out, right? This guy accumulates statistics because that's all he cares about, but he doesn't actually put forth effort in ways that matter. He doesn't cut off the ball. He doesn't expend energy in any way that doesn't directly impact a stat of his. So no, I don't buy this bullshit narrative that this guy is one of the hardest working players in the NBA or, or plays hard every night. I'm trying to snap my fingers and say, give that man AC his flowers. That man, is, <laughs> that man is preaching a truth. That man is preaching a truth. We've been saying for years that a man who only plays one side of the court, he does nothing else, that he's a hard player. Let's dispel that myth once and for all. Talk that shit, AC. 
you know, I mean, you you guys said it perfectly, and and it shows, right? Like, what what is playing hard, right? So you have Westbrook who goes into a jam packed pain, missing pretty simple layups. Then when he misses so blindly and the other team gets a fast break opportunity, what's he doing? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I missed a lip. Where's the foul? <laughs> Not running back, right? Like, I mean, come on, Westbrook. The guy that they got rid of for you in an Alex Caruso type runs back every single play. Do you guys see the play that he had where he's just running back and swatting the ball? Yep. I don't know, against the Kings, right? Oh, no, he, he ran back, swatted the ball away, then ran back the other way and got fouled in yeah. transition. It was like a full-court sprint both ways. That's a player who yeah. plays hard, yeah. right? That's I mean, objectively hard. speaking. Yeah. It, playing hard, you know, it's not just, like you said, we're going at everything reckless abandoned. It's control. It's understanding when do I need to, you know, turn on the Jets and run back? When do I need to turn on the Jets and blow by this guy or stop, pass the ball? Whatever the case may be, right? You know, Westbrook throughout his whole career has always had that athleticism and the ability to play hard, but he never actually does it. And it's honestly sad to see. And it's sad to see the masses try to defend him for playing in this, in this fashion for years now. But that really makes me wonder guys, like, is he just the most overrated guy on that 75? I mean, we talk about how Reggie arguably shouldn't have been there possibly, or Carmelo Anthony is Westbrook there just because he has two triple double seasons? Obviously, that's it is an accomplishment. I I don't want to minimize that in any way, but there's no other tangible evidence of him being a high level player in any game that truly mattered throughout his entire career. I mean, he had you, a forty three. He had a forty three point NBA Finals game against the Heat. To true, be fair yeah. to him. He did. I, I was going to bring and, up that and, and remember, and remember, and remember, Bill Simmons wrote the uh, article about uh, caring or some shit, and he spoke about Russ having that forty-three uh, point game, and it. He was basically saying like Russ had the dog in him, even though you know Kevin was crying at the end of the series <laughs> and shit like that. So I, I'm just saying, I'm I'm not I'm not even trying to argue for Russ. I'm just saying that he's okay. done some things in the playoffs. Sure. I mean, look, I mean, even Jimmy Butler has some pretty great games too, right? He had a 40 piece in the finals as well. Now I'm not saying that Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook are necessarily the same level of player, but when you talk about overall body of work, it, it kind of leaves me asking for a little bit more. And I'm saying that as someone who I love Russell Westbrook, I'm just trying to make sense of this myself. I don't want to get into whether he's the most overrated player ever. Those kind of discussions are difficult without the context of the time and the players that we didn't even see who may just be on one of those ranking lists by virtue of being in the NBA at a time in which, you know, (laughs) frankly, like a bunch of milkmen were playing basketball. Oh, so now we admitting that it was a bunch of repairmen. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I, I just think they belong on the list relative to their era. That's always been my argument. Oh, I, I, I listen, just, I just, listen, I, I just, want, put, I just want to bet admit it. Listen, if you put Russell Westbrook in 1960, if you, they would think he's an alien who's landed on the planet. <laughs> right? Like, right, right. Like, let's be honest here. So that, that you know, I don't want to get into that exercise. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see Paul Reason guard Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it's a, it's a futile exercise, but. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up my thought on Westbrook with this. Has any player really had better 
teammates in a career than Russell Westbrook. If you think about the amount of Hall of Fame caliber players that this guy has played with and then achieved so little while having that, you know, like he had his best times with OKC when he had two other of the, you know, 35 or so greatest players ever with Durant and Harden. And then he had, in the years, he played with LeBron, he's played with Anthony Davis, he's played with Bradley Beal, he's played with Paul George. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of great players that he's had. And and he's achieved very little, at least in the postseason. So you know, there's something to what else we say, for sure. I think both of you all are right about that. I, I think Russ has, if you look at his teammates, he's underachieved. Shout out to right, Repairman. So, <laughs> so guys, we've been rapping for about 25, 30 minutes about Russell Westbrook. And I think we all universally agree that shit has been a disaster. What about the other moves they made and how it's been playing out on the season? What y'all think? It's almost impossible to separate the Westbrook trade from the rest of the offseason. Because inevitably, when you give up so many assets to get a guy, you you go down this like three-star model. And the three-star model effectively implies that you don't have cap space to, to fit a bunch of other guys. So you better be damn sure that you got a big three that fits. So first and foremost, the big three doesn't fit, right? And now you take the big three aside and, and what they filled in the rest of the offseason with, and they had many more misses than hits. And that's what's going to happen when you go, you know, bargain bin hunting for veteran minimum players. But which players did they add that actually end up being a positive impact? I mean, Austin Reeves has been a good find. I mean, I, I think we could all say that Carmelo Anthony has exceeded expectations. And I would argue that those, that every other player they added, at least in the offseason, was a complete and utter bust. From Trevor Ariza, who looks washed up, to Dwight Howard, who's aged 10 years in, in what seems like a season. I mean, just a couple years ago in the bubble, this man was a huge factor in why they won a championship. And now he, he can barely even play when they have no other centers on the roster. DeAndre Jordan was a disastrous addition in the first place. And, and arguably, as you guys said earlier, might be the worst player in the NBA. They added guys like Avery Bradley, who had you know a stint earlier with the Lakers that was successful, but not this time around. And and so on and so forth. You know, Kent Bazemore is another guy who people thought could be a 3 and D guy for them. I mean, the man, again, can't even get minutes on a team that's depleted with injury and age and everything like that. So really very little they did this offseason work. Yeah, I mean, those are great points, AC. And it kind of makes me want to talk a little bit about the team, the roster itself and the construction of the team. To me, right, the Dwight Howard point is really big and the DeAndre Jordan one is because... One thing the Lakers lack a lot is size, right? Those two guys at the very least can offer you, you know, some physical bodies that are, you know, 6'10", 6'11", respectively, right? So now that when the Lakers aren't able to play them, they're basically putting an ADs out of the lineup too, assuming that he's, cause he's always fucking injured, right? It's a fucking paper man. But now they're putting like LeBron at the five, who is, you know, 37 years old, doesn't really want to, you know, bang down low with a bunch of these like, huge physical bodies in the NBA. So I just think that the team construction, it's really poor. And for a team that already doesn't shoot well, now they're playing their tallest player at LeBron James is around that 6'8", 6'9", Mark. Like, bro, like you guys are not doing anything right. You can't even do the shooting part right. Can't play small ball right. 
And now you're going up against these like 6'11", 7-foot centers, Joel Embiid's, Nikola Jokic's, who are going to fucking dominate you. So the big men have been severely lacking to me, and I think it's a super important part as to why they've lost so many of their games, assuming since 80s is fucking injured all the time. I think, Anu, on top of what you said, there was a real stylistic shift here. This is a team that without Anthony Davis and LeBron James for much of last season still had the best defense in the NBA. And they did it with size. They did it with gritty two-way players. Guys, you know, you call them three and D players, but I would argue all of those guys were more like D and three players. But that meant that you could count on them. And defense travels. Defense is consistent. Defense is reliable. And this season, when they made the Westbrook trade, they had to give up those players. And then they couldn't find defensive first players in you know when they looked in the veteran minimum basket so they went for offense only players and unfortunately a lot of those guys are either too old or they're too small so even when anthony davis is out there i would argue they're there's too small of a team they, they run backcourts out there with westbrook and malik monk right like that just that's too small or they don't have someone to play next to lebron james so they'll play tht who's also a guard as small forward or they'll play Austin Reeves as small four. He's right now, he's just starting small four. Austin Reeves is 6'4", 6'5". He's too small. So they just lack size across the board. And when they went for size, they went for washed up guys that don't have talent to go with that size or at least athletic ability anymore at this stage of their career, like DeAndre, like Dwight. So the Lakers forgot a tried and true saying about big men in the NBA. When they get past the age of 35, they age in dog years. Yep. Both of those guys, I think Dwight is over 35, but DeAndre's right on the cusp. But in mileage, he owed a shit too. So they didn't have any big man on their roster who who is an actual like center, and that's the position he plays. We know AD, his best position is at the five. But for guys who like to play down low, they didn't have anyone under that age range so that was just bound to be disastrous I mean even last year so with the Sixers Dwight was good in limited minutes but at some point that had to fall off a cliff DeAndre Jordan on the other hand we've been making jokes for years about him blackmailing his fellow players because each stint around the league he's been increasingly worse So I don't even know what the signing of DeAndre Jordan was. But again, this is just another example of the Lakers doing something that on paper seems like it would be a dumb decision, throwing it against the wall and seeing if it is stick. I thought Anu brought up a good point earlier about how this team can't really play any style effectively. Because if you go small, and, and and one thing they have done is they've realized, well, we can't play these plotting bigs at all. So even when AD is not there, they're still trying to go small. Small ball doesn't mean literally tiny at every single position. Because even if you have LeBron James, LeBron James at 37 is not big enough or athletic enough to be a consistent defensive center at this point, right? And Eric made a good point about you know, Dwight Howard in limited minutes last season was very effective for the Sixers. You could apply that to a lot of things the Lakers have. I think Carmelo Anthony, if he was playing 20 minutes a game this season as just like a sniper off the bench, he'd be fantastic. This man sometimes is is logging like 35 minutes. LeBron at center, 
it could be a devastating weapon in a playoff series, you know, as a thing that you, they go to for like, say, a quarter and teams can't adjust to it. But full game asking a 37-year-old to do it makes no sense. And it just functionally a problem that they just don't have the bodies to do the things they need to do. This is a 37-year-old who just two seasons ago, when they won a championship, led the league in assists and was their full-time point guard. That's a great point, Eric. But, you see, for me, it's kind of funny because right now the Lakers are looking a lot like what the Knicks are traditionally like. Let's just get a bunch of guys who are past their prime and see if it sticks. I I get where you're coming from. I, I think the Lakers have done it, it. I would argue in some ways is more disastrous than, than a typical Knicks offseason because the Knicks are coming from nothing and they're trying to get something. Whereas the Lakers had something. They won a championship not even two years ago, right? They had a competitive team last year that if not for injuries, I think would have had a real chance of winning the West and maybe the finals. If they just brought back last year's team, they'd be one of the title favorites right now. But they didn't do that. They punted it all. They took a huge gamble to add a problematic player. And we've discussed all the ways that Westbrook is problematic. And they gave up assets to do that. They gave up a first-round pick. Do you know how many moves this trade deadline were greased by just having a first-round pick in this year's draft? Or how nice it would be for the Lakers who had this disastrous season to just be able to use their own pick for once. But no, they gave that up on top of all the other players they lost this offseason. So talk about a disaster of roster construction. Yeah, just to add a bit more about how disastrous this team is in terms of the construction. I mean, one, they gave up extremely versatile players like an Alex Caruso, a Kyle Kuzma, not having Contavious Caldwell-Pope. These are all guys who you can put on someone and be like, hey, can you go defend this? Or like even like Caldwell-Pope, we talked about it many times. He's like one of the best lock and trail guys, right? You need guys like that in, in playoff series. And, you know, the West has a ton of incredibly good guards and forwards who are versatile scorers. I mean, with the the emergence, and I'm sure we'll talk about them at some point, with the Grizzlies, I mean, they have multiple weapons at, at the guard slots and the forwards, right? And then you deal against, like, a Utah Jazz team who has Gobert setting millions upon millions of screens for these terrible defensive guards that have to navigate through and who have a extremely good scoring guard in Donovan Mitchell or Jokic, right? I mean, he himself is an offense all in of his own, right? So not having the personnel to deal with teams that you're going to be going up against, it, it doesn't make any sense to me with what the moves that they made. It's just terrible, honestly. No, no good interior defenders, no good perimeter defenders. It's just pathetic, honestly. It's a joke. What's crazy is how impactful these random G League level players that are playing the Lakers look just because it shows how bad the normal roster is, right? Like Stanley Johnson comes in and actually makes a pretty big damn difference because, oh wait, here's a guy who actually can run a little bit, has a little bit of size, who cares on defense. Wenyan Gabriel is signed recently. This man comes in and is actually making an impact. He's, I would argue he should get way more minutes. Austin Reeves, undrafted rookie comes in, plays hard, and immediately shows that he's like a huge needed thing on this team. So what does that tell you about the lack of what this team had beforehand? And one of the problems, by the way, of going small like they did this offseason, when you're big, you can play lazy, right? No, people don't talk about this nearly enough. It's a point that Pete Zayas makes on Laker Fellow Room, one of the best followers there is in basketball. But he, he makes this point. When you're big, 
you don't have to give that extra effort because you you have size at the rim. You you know you can contest shots a little bit easier. You can you can get out some lazier habits. When you're small, you need to use your speed even that much more to make rotations, right? And it flat out shows it that they don't make those rotations. They're an old lazy team that's small on top of it. So it's a disaster by any measure. Let me add the first two guys you named, Winyan Gabriel and Stanley Johnson. They were ran away from other NBA teams. That's why they were in the G League. So yep. the fact that the Lakers were looked at as a team that was going to be competing for a championship and they've been able to get regular minutes on that team tells you that this roster construction is straight garbage. Garbage. So with all this talk about rosters, a roster is nothing without its head coach. And quite frankly... Frank Vogel has been getting a lot of heat this season for how the Lakers have been playing. Part of it is because he was just given this absurdly shit roster. And part of it is it just feels like these guys have completely quit on him. Almost as if everything he's saying is in one ear, out the other. So, guys, what do you guys think about how Frank Vogel has managed this tumultuous season? So, let's start by saying that Frank Vogel won the championship for this team and was, in my opinion, instrumental to that championship win. And last season, when they had a ton of injuries, it's his schemes and his creativity defensively that helped them maintain that number one defense throughout the season. So this is not an optimal roster for a guy like Frank Vogel. If you hire Frank Vogel, you know what you're getting with him. You're getting a guy who likes to run drop schemes, play bigs conventionally, play big guards, and focus on you know defensive schemes. He's not an offensive sort of coach whatsoever, and that's always been the flaw of his, of his coaching. So you, you hampered this guy with a roster that makes no sense for his strengths. It'd be like giving Mike D'Antoni a roster full of extremely good defenders who had no offensive talent at all. Like It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to then be like, oh, now it's your fault, let's fire you. I think he's set up to be the fall guy here. I, I agree with Aswi that he's taken a lot of heat this season, and I could see him ultimately losing his job. I also agree with Aswi that his guys have quit on him a little bit, especially in recent weeks when it looks like the Lakers are going to be sucking nine or ten almost no matter what happens. I don't, I don't see guys who are playing hard outside of like the younger guys who are trying to make a name for themselves. But, and here's the big but, I don't want to absolve Frank Vogel for some of the stuff that's happened this season. I think Frank Vogel took too long to realize the roster he had. He started this season coaching this team as if it was last year's Lakers or, or the Lakers of two years ago. He played conventional bigs until one by one, they all failed him. First it was DeAndre, then it was Dwight, right? He played lineups with very little shooting. He, he, would, he would do things like not play a guy like Austin Reeves, who obviously deserved more minutes until much later this season, like now when they don't, they don't have Anthony Davis anymore. Like it could have been a difference playing him earlier. And what I'll give him some credit is he has adapted slowly and come to the realization that he, he has a team that doesn't work with his style. And, and now he's playing so differently than the Vogel would have thought. He has LeBron playing center and he has multiple small guards who are poor at defense. But a lot of those decisions were too little too late and they were too obvious. Uh, and, and, and he didn't make the obvious moves when he had to make them, whether that's rotations, whether that's benching Russell Westbrook, which is something that, by the way, he's done here and there. But would Greg Popovich have waited this long? No. Would Phil Jackson have waited this long? No. And 
the reality is that's the big other thing that's you know hanging over this team is they have this Westbrook problem, and I don't think that he's done a good enough job of addressing that. Yeah, I mean, AC, you pretty much said everything that I, I wanted to say, too. I, I think one of the biggest grievances that we've all had with Vogel, and this is going over even during his championship run, it, it's, you know, deciding who plays and when they play. It, to me, it's always been, like, the biggest thing, like, watching Frank Vogel's, like, brain work. Because we know that, you know, when it comes to actually making a defensive scheme and, well, and defense being his specialty, he can do it, right? Maybe sometimes he X's and O's, like, on-the-fly coaching. He could use some work, but he's still a pretty good coach in, in those matters, too. You know, play scheming and whatever the case may be. My issue is, like, sometimes he just runs the most boneheaded lineups, you know, putting Westbrook with no fucking spacing around him. Same thing with LeBron. You know, not utilizing his guys to the best of their ability. And, you know, the thing with Austin Reeves, AC, I, I totally agree with, too. I mean... This is a guy who we all believe should have been getting way more minutes, especially in, when, you know, they had a chance to really make a good push for, for playoff seeding. Now they're just hoping and praying they can get into the play-in game. And it's, you know, a case of too little too late. You know, you had a guy who's a super good young talent. And I feel like most coaches don't like to actually go to their, their young talent like that. They like relying on the guys who have established, you know, a name for themselves. But sometimes you just have to you know, take a leap of faith and go with the guy like an Austin Reeves and see how, maybe not how far he can take you, but what he can provide to, you know, you have one of the greatest players of all time on your roster. Even though he's 37 years old, he can still make things work. And I'm sure that LeBron is in love with a guy like Austin Reeves because he loves guys who, who play hard. And Austin Reeves is a guy who plays hard. It just never made sense to me that only now he's giving him the minutes. And look, even though I think out of all the people who are perpetrators of this season, Frank Vogel is probably the least guilty perp that I can think of. I still think Vogel has a history, as both the Anu and AC have pointed out, of being a little slow to come around to getting the right rotations. Now, he will change and he will get the right rotation, but it takes him a little longer than some other elite coaches. And I think this Austin Reeves thing, which by my estimation was the worst example of him not being quick to adapt. He also did this with Alex Caruso the two seasons before. So yep. it was an issue then. And it finally rectified itself in 2020 when in the late games of the NBA finals, he started Alex Caruso. But prior to that, we had been clamoring. Look, he's an energy guy. He plays dogged defense. He actually does well as far as facilitating. Play this man. But he always seemed to play him two little minutes. That was the same thing with Austin Reeves. Even though, if you're looking at the analytics of it, Austin Reeves was obviously... When all people were healthy, considered, he was like their fourth best player. And he's been that way most of the season. So why wouldn't you have been giving him minutes on a team where the older guys had already proven, and we've spoken about the, the reasons of the world, the Avery Bradleys, the Kent Bazemores, those older perimeter guys had already proven they're long in a tooth. We've all had that situation where, you know, we're watching basketball and we, we all think to ourselves like, you know, if I was the coach, I would have done this. I would have done this. Right. 
guys, when we watched the Lakers, how many times do we have the thought that was completely unacceptable? It happens all the time for us, right? So how come when Frank Vogel, who's the fucking coach, sees this shit happening, he never has that thought where, oh, this is fucking unacceptable at an NBA level. You'd expect him to, you know, have the fucking thought cross in his head like, okay, you know, this is not good. Let me go put in a guy who actually wants to play hard or wants to fucking run back on defense. Because like half the time, all the older guys on the Lakers, they don't give a fuck anymore. They're like, oh, whatever. You know, this game's a wash. It's washed. Bro, if I'm watching a game as a fan, I want to see the players play hard, whether they're up 20 or down 20. You know, it's not fun for the players, but it's especially not fun for the fans who spend their fucking hard-earned money and they're just watching, you know, fuck all happening on the court. It's ridiculous. Real talk, those Lakers fans in one of the most expensive cities in the country, they're paying for the shittiest product right now. For real. It's unreal. I totally agree. Real live, it couldn't be me. I couldn't imagine living in a place where uh, a half of a one-bedroom apartment a studio costs two thousand a month, and and then you, you, your season tickets cost like some ridiculous amount of money, and then I'm dealing with late game traffic after the game to see that Lakers team. That's some bullshit. Couldn't be me at all. Couldn't be me. But I do want to say this, and I think this is also a big indictment on Vogel. At a point of the season, halfway through the season, I thought the reason Russell Westbrook, who was underperforming, and it was obvious he was underperforming, was because the front office wouldn't allow Vogel to sit Russell Westbrook. Well, in the last, and I've been counting, eight weeks or so, it's been trickling out. Every week you'll see an article. Oh, the front office, they kind of want Russ to sit. Frank Vogel's resisting. Now, I would usually say sometimes we don't know if these reports from the media are true, but I do think when we're consistently seeing something where there's smoke, there's fire. And at this point, I'm starting to think it's Vogel who's resisting sitting this player who obviously he's just not mentally in it. I think one of the things about Frank Vogel is that he is a player's coach. And I I think making the move to bench Russell Westbrook, if it was done too early, it risks losing the locker room, and it certainly loses Russell Westbrook. But I think we're past the point now where Lakers should stop caring about that whatsoever. This guy, Russell Westbrook, he's just not it. I don't want to tell you. Like, he's he's just not that guy. I don't know if he ever was that guy, but he damn for sure isn't that guy right now for this team. Amen to that. And you want to know something, AC? The advanced stats agree with you. Because there is a guy on that team in LeBron James. And when him and Russell Westbrook are together, they have a combined plus minus of minus 87 together on the floor. Jeez. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? But listen. We can't talk about the Lakers, can't talk about offseason moves, all this stuff, without talking about the guy who, I guess you could say a lot of blame might possibly go on him with this whole Westbrook thing. As you can see, I'm very hesitant to, you know, put blame on LeBron because he's, you know, he's LeBron. But um, LeBron James, guys, you know, I, I said with him and Westbrook on the court, they're minus 87. 
Well, when it's just LeBron on the court, it's a minus eight. So it's not pretty. In fact, overall, this season, LeBron is not playing that well at all. Yeah, he had a 50-point game, but tell me how this man has the lowest VORP in his career other than when he's injured years. It's 4.6. He's tied for the lowest defensive box plus minus in his career with one. He has the lowest win shares in a healthy season in his career, which is 7.2. He looks completely clocked out. And Anu, as I'm sure you're well aware, he tried to uh, he tried to throw a ball at yeah, your he, boy, Scotty he, he Barnes. He killed my boy, my future. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know the wild thing about that, guys? All those advanced stats you named, he's having an awful season. I legitimately think this is a bad season for him. And he's still, like, <laughs> as far as in the rankings of those stats, they're low for him. They ain't that low for everyone else for their career. Right, right. So I just want to talk about this as as a baseline of what this person is competing against. And I know AC is thinking, ah, uh, see, Eric is still trying to do a half glass, <laughs> a half uh, full glass or half glass full. I'm sorry, I messed up the idiom. And he's looking at this through rose tinted glasses. No, <laughs> I'm about to shit on LeBron in a way you've never seen me shit on him. But I still think perspective is needed here. And I think the perspective is not needed for this season because he's been god-awful. I think the perspective is needed for what he can be next year if he's not playing with Russell Westbrook and he's in the right role and they stop allowing LeBron to have personnel say. Well, there's a lot there, Eric. But the most interesting thing you said is that you're going to have some kind of a, a take that we've never quite heard from you yet. So I'm going to leave the floor to you. Say what you got to say. Say your piece. On, I want to say you're a boy, but really it's all of our boys. We all love LeBron here. What is your take on LeBron James? Hot take alert. So I'm going to give you all, I'm going to walk you back in history. I've been a LeBron fan, and AC will tell you this. I was a LeBron fan where AC was still trying to give me shit about LeBron playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I was still a LeBron <laughs> fan too, but you know. Yeah, he was a LeBron <laughs> fan, but he was just playing devil's advocate because he's he, an ass. Yep. AC always <laughs> does that shit. AC um, loves that shit. He <laughs> thrives on it. I, I know. So but he'll, he'll tell you that. When we, when we first met, I was a LeBron fan when he was first on the Sports Illustrated cover. When he was in high school, I used to watch his games on ESPN two when he was playing for St. Vincent, St. Mary. I saw the game against Carmelo Anthony when Carmelo Anthony was at the school in Southern Virginia that used to turn out all these basketball players. I saw that game. Oak Hill. So my LeBron fandom goes way back. This two decades now. And when I tell you I've been here to make an excuse for every fucking season LeBron has had. I made an excuse when he lost his first playoff series against the Pistons. I made an excuse when he lost the NBA Finals for the first time against the San Antonio Spurs. I even talked myself into an excuse about the damn decision because of the letter from Dan Gilbert. I'm telling you, I have a history of being an apologist for LeBron James. And most time, I think my apologism is spot on. I think people use a lot of hyperbole with him. 
he's battling a ghost that's Michael Jordan. And sometimes Kobe Bryant, when people want to pull Kobe Bryant into some shit that he don't belong in. But that's a story for another time. I can categorically say this season, along with that shit performance in 2011, when he lost that series to the Dallas Mavericks, that if LeBron had played a facsimile of his abilities, they easily win that series. This is the first time I can look at a season without any optimism and say, LeBron James fucked this season up. And now he's playing like shit because he's pouting and he's trying to make a, a point and send a message that I don't even understand what message he's trying to send. Look, we all realize this man is 37. He's in his 19th season. He has more mileage on him than just about any player at 37. No, scratch that. He has more mileage on him than any player at 37 in NBA history. Like, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't even need to make the excuse that, look, LeBron's averaging almost 30 a game. He can't play backline defense as a starting center because we already know that. But LeBron constructed this roster or helped construct this roster, and there's no getting around it. I see Clutch Sports attempting now to be like, oh, he wanted DeMar Rosen, and then they just gave him Russell Westbrook. And that's been the reports coming out the last couple of days. I don't want to hear that shit. Y'all just started saying that in the last week. But previous, you let the, the news go on that you all, you and AD, sat down with Russell Westbrook. You got him in order. You signed him. So you made this bed. You have to lay in it. And for LeBron, who actually helped construct this roster, a roster that many people, look, AC and I had our immediate misgivings, and then my ass tried to talk AC into a day later on a podcast not having the misgivings. <laughs> that that shit actually happened. So I'm, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there because I did that. But the misgivings, I still remember when it first happened, we were both like, what the hell is this? No spacing, this, 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 and that. And then I talk AC into all this shit like, Oh, maybe it's going to be a thing where they just run downhill and they just can't stop them and everyone's just attacking the rim. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. LeBron knew at some point as this like big brain basketball player that a guy like Russ, as a guy who can't space the floor, you only have been successful with guys who can space the floor and are versatile defenders. Why the fuck now are you going to take it out on the damn fans by sleepwalking through fucking games? And yeah, you know, LeBron's the second greatest player ever. So LeBron can average 30 if he's not playing defense. It's nothing for him. He's developed his offensive game to the point that, like, I never thought he would get here offensively, but here we are. But now he's not playing defense. So what the fuck does the 30 points per game mean? What does 50 points in three games mean when I literally see you on whole possessions for 10 minutes while you're on the floor? You're not doing shit defensively. It means nothing. This, for the first time to me, just like 2011, is a completely empty season. And I never thought I would have the clarity to even be able to criticize the season like this because I'm such a so-called stand, but... It just feels like nothing, even though it's actually historical. But I'm not in the future going to look back at this season and think, 
wow, this 37-year-old averaged 30 a game in his 19th season. You know what I'm going to remember? I'm going to remember all the times he didn't rotate. I'm going to remember every time he gets mad when Russell Westbrook, the player that he helped sign, goes up for a layup recklessly, and LeBron throws his hands up and doesn't run back in transition. That's the shit I'm going to remember. I fucking hate this season, and I wish LeBron hadn't even played it. Wow, Eric. I mean, tell us how you really feel, because that was fucking incredible. I mean, you know, I, can, can I just also just say, I just want to clap. That was a, clap it up one of my favorite brown men won't jump moments of all time. That was fucking epic, man. You know, it, it's funny. The thing with LeBron, right? I mean, we all have the... I think we all pretty much have the same grievances with him this season. I mean, he's old as shit. You know, he's not playing fucking defense. He's putting up empty offensive stats. To me, the most absurd thing is the fact that they fucking destroyed the Rockets and they game planned specifically for Russell Westbrook. And they're like, you know, this guy's this guy ain't shit. I mean, we put AD on him. AD can just sink in the paint. What the fuck can he do, right? So they did that. LeBron saw that and he was like, you know what? I fucking like that guy. Let's bring him on my team. Knowing full well that he fucking beat the shit out of him previously. When we play basketball and we see someone who's fucking awful, we don't go, oh, you know, that guy, let's put him on my team this time. No, we go, no, he's trash. We don't fucking want him. You know what I mean? So this is an NBA player who's playing for his legacy. And he brought a guy like Russell Westbrook on. And to me, that's just unfathomable. I'll never get over that fucking fact. It's ridiculous to me. I think when you consider the opportunity cost for LeBron James, this Russell Westbrook trade will go down as one of the worst trades in NBA history. Because let's be honest, long term, the Lakers didn't give up any real assets as part of this trade that really matter in, in a big picture scheme compared to say something like what, what Brooklyn did when they gave up all those future picks. But if you're LeBron James, you know, Eric says that LeBron is the second greatest player ever. And I think most of us here believe that he's either second or third, or he will be second at the end of his career. There is an NBA Hall of Famers gap in achievements between number one and number two, though. If you take two finals MVPs, two championships, a defensive player of the year, all kinds of scoring titles, that's the gap right now between LeBron and MJ. So if he had any it's a, aspersion... It's another Hall of Fame career, AC. It's literally another Hall of Fame <laughs> yeah, career. You're so right yeah. about that. So how do you... Now, of course, LeBron has certain accomplishments that Jordan doesn't have, right? And, and he will have career longevity accomplishments that nobody has ever had. But to really get into that discussion, and, and LeBron has said explicitly that he's chasing that ghost. He said as recently as All-Star Weekend that he's the greatest player of all time. He said that he declared it for himself. He needed to win, and he was in a position to do that. And he threw that away. Listen, I, I agree that a, a GM deserves blame in, in Rob Palenka. I agree that Jeannie Buss deserves blame for getting cheap and not playing Alex Caruso. And any number of other things are, are at blame here on this team. But this is the man who, by all accounts, and actually by his own account, took the credit. He bragged about how... Russell Westbrook came to his mansion and they discussed this whole thing but with him and AD about how they're all going to, you know, sacrifice their games. And he, he made this big, you know, passive aggressive tweet about, you know, like checking back uh, at the end of the season and, and, and responding to all the haters. 
when there was very legitimate criticism of that this trade wouldn't work. So he owned this trade until things didn't go well. And then he did two things that I don't appreciate whatsoever. The first thing that he did was that he started pouting. He started becoming passive aggressive. And this is not the first time we see this from LeBron James. When things don't go right, he does this. He did this in 2018, 2017-18 season with the Cavs. He pouted. He played every game that season, but basically he didn't really play. And then he got half the team traded. And then, you know what? He picked it up and they went to NBA Finals. And people say, oh, wow, LeBron played well that season. Sure, if you look at a certain portion of the season, but not the part where he was pouting. This time, though, his pouting is absurd because he's the one who wanted it to happen. So that's my first problem. The second problem is the incredible revisionist history that somehow he's not the guy behind this. I mean, I mean, he literally took credit for this very thing that now he's trying to say, oh, actually, it was Palenka or whoever else was behind this. It's just, it's laughable. I mean, we, we all know the receipts are there and they can't be ignored. I want to touch really quickly, though, about the fact that this is a historical season for LeBron James. What LeBron James is doing right now is truly remarkable. And he is leading the NBA in scoring or, you know, sort of in a a race, a three-way race with him, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, two guys who are a decade younger than him, a couple seasons after he led the league in assists. And in that season, as Eric pointed out, he played point guard. Now he's playing center. He is an incredible basketball player. That sh- This should be a remarkable season for him. Whether they won a championship or not, he could have added to his legacy and secured his place. Instead, I actually am kind of dreading him passing Carl Malone this season. I almost wish it happened next year, for instance. Because it's just coming in a season where everything just seems so vapid. It seems so empty to me. It seems like he's gunning for something in a way that I don't re- really remember him ever doing. He's frankly having a very Russell Westbrook season. Or, or maybe like a Wilt Chamberlain season, sort of latter part of Wilt's career, where he was chasing one sort of thing at the expense of every other thing that would lead to winning basketball. So here he's clearly chasing a scoring title, but he's not rotating on defense. He's not doing basic things. He's just, just his body language is horrible. There's this big story that he was the first guy ever to have 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. But that actually understates how incredible of an achievement it was. He actually is the first player ever just to even have 10,000 rebounds and 10,000 assists. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Like, that just shows how hard it is to do what he can do. But guess what? It came in the midst of a game in which he was so embarrassing from an effort standpoint that when he tweeted about it afterward and, you know, wrote about how great this was and he was the first person to do this, it just came across as a laughable joke. And this is a man who, at this stage of his career, should not be remembered as a laughable joke because certainly. I was young enough to see Jordan, who I think is the greatest player ever. But I will argue that after Michael Jordan, I haven't seen anyone play at the level of LeBron James. And that's what he should be remembered for, not for all the other bullshit that he's brought to this team. Because make no mistake about it, whether it's getting his clutch agent THT signed to some crazy deal or getting the trades that he wanted or exerting his will in any of the other ways that he's done it, his imprints are all over this disastrous Lakers season. The only saving grace he have, AC, real talk, about that Carl Malone thing you just mentioned is that it will be passing Carl Malone and we're not going to we're yeah. not going to do a deep dive into what type of man Carl Malone is you know yeah it like went over my head for a little bit and I was like oh fuck oh yeah so that's the only saving grace in that that shit human being he ain't never win shit exactly so that's that's the only saving grace in a season 
that LeBron has been, like, honestly, to me, this has been disastrous. I have a question for you guys. Is this a legacy-altering season? Because, you know, in some ways, it could be a legacy-increasing season because of what he's doing at his age, right? And adding to these numbers. But if this is how he goes out, like, let's, let's assume he doesn't bounce back. And this is, it's like this for a few years in the Lakers or wherever he ends up in. Can it hurt his legacy? Because I thought he made a very tactical blunder by going to Cleveland and flirting with that fan base and doing all this stuff and doing the whole usual LeBron playbook. And it was kind of like, but didn't you just create all this stuff over here? And and th- th- it just leaves a sour taste you know, in my mouth as someone who always rooted for LeBron, but also just it seems like with Lakers fans going that route. Can this actually end up hurting him a little more in sort of a historic perspective? Well, the way I see it when it comes to legacy is strictly what is on the court, right? Listen, Jordan, Kobe, off the court, not the best guys. Carl Malone, very talented, but really not a good guy off the court, right? LeBron James, first and foremost, is a basketball player. And this disastrous season comes from his... People like to refer to him as Le GM or his GM side. If we're talking about his legacy in that sense, sure. But in my mind, it doesn't hurt his legacy. Maybe puts a sour taste in our mouth. Sure. But still, that being said, he's still LeBron James. As long as he plays well, you know, like that, that's good enough for me. Because at the end of the day, he's a basketball player. Now, how he exerts his influence and how he uses that to construct arguably one of the worst former championship teams, I think that's beside the point, personally. So my answer is twofold. I don't actually think this hurts his legacy as far as his uh, on-court achievements. They are what they are, and at the end of his career, when we do a retrospective, they will be what they are. I think this is another wasted year in the sense that all things considered, I don't think this this league right now is so strong as far as there is no hegemon. I'm using international relations terms, but there's no singular team like the Golden State Warriors that I just expect to win that they can't possibly lose. So I do think LeBron just wasted a year getting Russell Westbrook. That being said, where I think is really going to hurt because I think this is actually part of his legacy and it's an important part of his legacy, is player empowerment. I don't think teams are going to trust LeBron if they're smart from here on out because now he's old. And even though he can give you 30 points per game, he's old. Teams aren't going to trust LeBron to be making these fucking personnel decisions. And why should they? Why? Like, he's shown a history of not understanding how teams are constructed what players actually work best with him, and having nepotism where, as AC pointed out, he gets his clutch clients these ridiculous contracts even though they underperform the contracts. So I really do think this is like, I'm not going to say a death nail to player empowerment. I do think this will be looked at when we talk about player empowerment, and it's going to be one of those cliches where they say, well, see, shouldn't let the inmates run the asylum yeah for me i i don't necessarily know if it truly will dictate his overall legacy i I do think though that 
we can all agree he's probably the second best player of all time. I think we would all probably agree on that. But a guy who constantly gets in conversation for even even GOAT talks is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Having a for sure way to cement yourself as a solid number two is really good, right? I think LeBron's only going to get older from here, obviously, and he should be looking to win you know, every single year at this point, right? You know, he probably has, I would say, maybe two or three LeBron-esque type seasons. And I think that's also enough in playoff basketball, assuming that he has the right roster around him, to maybe gun and get another ring or two. But this move that he's made himself with Russell Westbrook, to me, it just shows this like lack of you know true want to win at this stage of his career, or even understanding how am I able to win. So to me, I, I I think it doesn't necessarily hurt the legacy, but I feel like he could have done a lot more to at least cement themselves as a true number two, second best player of all time. I love that point, Anu, because there's a chance that history doesn't remember LeBron as being better than Kareem, who has more MVPs and more rings. And, you know, we'll have very comparable, obviously, he was the all-time leading scorer, and LeBron will break that record, but that's that's a possibility yeah i i think lebron james when he made this russell westbrook trade i i the first thing when i heard this news is i i i said eric i don't think lebron's gonna win another ring and i and if you had told me even coming into last offseason that that was the case i would actually have bet on him winning another ring because i thought he was still good enough and ad even right now lebron and ad are still probably the best top two that any team has in the nba believe it or not but now they've kind of hamstrung themselves in terms of how it affects his legacy. So it affects it in the way that if they can't move off this Westbrook thing and rebuild next season, he's not going to win another ring. But I also think if this is a one-off season where it's just like a disaster and it is what it is, that's fine. But if they have multiple seasons in a row where, as Eric said, their team is unwatchable. And we talk about all the reasons why it's unwatchable. A huge part of it is LeBron is unwatchable right now. I mean, the man is not making a basic rotation. He's not running back. He's not doing things like that. If he's not going to do that type of stuff, that will sour his legacy. And I'll tell you why. Because what is legacy? When you say legacy, what does that mean? Legacy is what people say about you after you're gone, right? And who is out there? That's still in the LeBron camp, outside of like LeBron fans like us who just kind of follow this guy around his career. What is a fan base that's left with like a great taste in their mouth from LeBron James? They've all sort of had the great high and then like the sting of him leaving or starting some drama or whatever other things has happened. And I think if he could go out, even just being competitive and giving a couple more scenes where, you know, they're in the thick of things and he has a couple more good playoff seasons, that can, you know sort of salvage this but if he goes down this track of just playing this bullshit basketball that we're seeing we talk about on-court product well that's the on-court product i'm seeing is a guy who's who's half-assing it and if that's the case for multiple years we got a problem that's kind of actually it's it's fascinating that you said that ac the guy who i think is at number three but i have no problem slotting him at number two that's actually a lot of what was said about kareem in his career he didn't belong to any singular city by the time he got to LA the first couple of years he didn't win a championship until magic came and then when Matt when magic came magic was the number one guy so I wonder with him vying for that second slot with a guy like Kareem 
will it really be something where in the future, and, and hindsight is usually 2020, but in the future, will we look at it as, oh, there's no like single indelible moment that we remember LeBron for like Jordan belonging to the Bulls and ending on, you know, that championship season or, you know, the guys like Lurie and Magic who are singular with the teams that they played for. I I don't think considering the guy that he's slotting next to Jordan with, I don't think that's really going to be that big of an issue. And I also think if we're looking at legacy, legacy can be twofold. It can be how the fans remember you, the layman. But I'm not sure true legacies are written like that because if you ask fans, they don't have Kareem in their top three. They'll start telling you Kobe Bryant and shit. It's the actual writers, the people who analyze the game that tell you Kareem is a top three player of all time. I speak to fans. I have discussions with them. They don't know the difference between Kobe and and Bird and, and Jordan. To them, Kobe Bryant is right after Michael Jordan as the best player ever. And some of them think Kobe Bryant was better than Michael Jordan. A minority of them. But some of them. So if I'm LeBron, I wouldn't even be worried about what fans think. They dumbasses. That being said, this season definitely didn't help his legacy. So I don't know how we could say anything other than it either at best didn't hurt it that much. At most, it hurt it. So it did something. It didn't do something good. No, that's well put, Eric. And it, it, the, your Kareem point is very interesting. I, I would argue that Kareem won more championships with the Lakers alone than LeBron's won in his entire career. So whether or not he was beloved coming in, he was certainly beloved going out. And by the most popular franchise in the NBA, and they've literally built a statue of him outside you know, doing a little sky hook. So whatever, you know, he's still remembered fondly by a fan base. And I wonder if LeBron will be remembered like that by any fan base. That's my only point. But you're right. I mean, oh, ultimately, no, you're, no, you're right. But ultimately, I think we can all agree that he's had an incredible career and and we hope that he's remembered for how great he is. Like the, what we saw, like, how do we tell our children, like, do we saw a guy like this? And I, I hope that he's talked about in that way and not in the other ways that he could be talked about because he has been involved in some of the things that aren't as savory about the NBA in recent years. You tell your kids, like I would, my hypothetical future little one, who probably <laughs> will never come to fruition. <laughs> you, you tell your kids, I saw the greatest mercenary ever. Yep. But it, that's a sad legacy to me for a guy who... But see, that's a sad legacy to you because of how you look at sports, though. It's not a sad legacy to me because I would want my kid to know a job, you don't owe them loyalty. You use the job. Uh, that's a don't good point. Don't let them use you. That's a good point. Well, guys, I know for a fact that my kids will be LeBron James fans. Otherwise, they will be on the street. Maybe, AC, you can adopt them. <laughs> <laughs> With that, guys, I think it's a perfect place to wrap up for today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmanwoljump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmanwoljump. We'll catch you in the next one, and stay safe, guys. Later. Deuces. Peace.